So speaking of Lakers and the Sixers and the top of the draft, we're joined by Jonathan Gavoni, Draft Express, on Twitter, Draft Express. I'm Brian. Doing great, Nolan. How are you? We're good. Hey, do you remember, I get, we got a few questions off the top, but do you remember that NBA TV that I think we hosted a draft show together like, I don't know, like eight years ago? Do you remember that by any chance? I feel like I'm doing the Saturday Night Live uh Chris Farley thing. Hey, remember that? Uh, that was awesome. That was awesome, exactly. <laughs> so, so, so even if you don't, I'm going to say that. the Martin Scorsese treatment this morning, Jonathan. Right? <laughs> that was I, I, awesome. I do remember that, yeah. yeah that was that fun. was a long time ago. Yeah, a long, long time ago. Um, we were talking about Steve Nash's retirement before we get to the draft. Whose career would you rather have, Steve Nash's career or Tony Parker's career? Wow, that's a tough one. Both amazing players. Probably Tony Parker, just because of the championships. But Steve Nash is is going to go down as one of the best point guards in NBA history. So um, I, I would be pretty happy with either one, to be honest with you. All right, so let's go draft. Does it matter who, which team is at the top of the draft, picking number one, whether it's Okafor or Towns? I do. Uh, I do think so, yes, because they're very different players. Um, you know, Julia Okafor would be the number one pick in the draft pretty much any year Leading up to, you know, let's say 2012. You know, the NBA game to me is really, really changing now. It's so heavily focused around spacing and rim protection and tempo. And, you know, if you're, when you look at it from that aspect, Carl Towns is a much better fit. But not every team might agree with that, especially the Knicks who are trying to play basketball um, like they did in the 80s. So, I, I and, and probably the Minnesota Timberwolves too. So if it's either of those two teams, I really think it's going to be Okafor. But any other of those teams in the top five, and I could really see it being um, Towns. In terms of Okafor, Jonathan, you know, it, listen, the free throw shooting people worry about. I, I don't. I feel like a player at this age, that's something can develop over time. And 55% isn't DeAndre Jordan shooting 40%. And certainly with some improvement there, he could be up to an acceptable level of 70%. So that, to me, doesn't red flag anything. Let me ask you a question about the defense and the below-the-rim approach defensively. Do you think that where Okafor is defensively now, there are legitimate concerns? And how much progress do you see Okafor having the potential to make here, considering his size and the -the below-the-rim nature of his game as a defensive player in today's above-the-rim NBA? I think it's very much a concern and I don't think he's ever going to be an all-defensive player in the NBA, but I do think he can make progress just because of you look at his footwork offensively, it's amazing. His instincts are incredible. Um, just the way you know he gets the ball, I mean, he's so fluid. But then defensively, he's pretty much clueless. I, I wonder if he's ever really been coached on that side of the floor. Uh, you know, he, he has a 7'5", 7'6", wingspan, He's not uh, an unathletic guy. I, I do think that if with, with the right coaching, he can become a passable defender in the NBA. But right now, it's very much a concern. With Derek Fisher's coaching? Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. You know, he's going to have to have some really good guys around him. That's for sure. Because, you know, the way they are now, nobody would help them defensively. What are you hearing about on the – point guard spot, Emmanuel Moutier and, and D'Angelo Russell, that, that Russell can be the lead guard. And have you heard anything different about Moutier after his time 
in China as you did coming out of high school? I, I don't think much changed for him in China. I, I don't think that it was um, an amazing success, but I, I, I don't think it was a failure either, what happened over there. Uh, it, it really wasn't much of a surprise. Um, you know, any 18-year-old probably would have struggled in, in that league. Um, but the rush, you really can't go wrong, honestly. Russell and Moutier, both tremendous prospects. Um, you know, I might lean Russell just because, of um, you know the shooting aspect, which is such an important thing in the NBA today. But you know, Moutier um, is much more talented physically. He, he he's a better defender. He's just as good of a point guard, and and he's going to get better in time too. So um, you know, I'm pretty high on both of those guys. We're talking to Jonathan Gavoni, DraftExpress.com. Jonathan Willie Coy Stein, who is you know defensively really for a player his age is is so far developed in terms of what he can do but you saw a little bit of this yesterday for one reason or another the rebounding light bulb hasn't necessarily gone off is this you think just part of his development or may end up being a long-term limitation of his game here going forward you have him at five on your big board and I think that's a very accurate place for him because I think big guys like him don't come along all the time in terms of impact but I see the rebounding as as a potential long-term concern how do you look at it well, I don't think that those two traits are really correlated always. If you look at, you know, the best shot blockers in the NBA, they all they aren't always the best rebounders. Right. And and part of the reason for that is because they're really opposite skills. If you're really chasing blocks, it's hard to be in position for rebounds. And I think a lot of that is systematic um, with, with the way Kentucky plays. And I think John Calipari knows that he has. Carl Towns, who is a great rebounder, and he has Trey Lyles, who's 6'10", so he can afford to kind of let Willie Cauley-Stein roam all over the floor, you know, step out on the pick and roll way out past the three-point line, and, and not really be too worried about, you know, being out of place for rebounds. So, you know, I don't think that Cauley-Stein is a great rebounder, but I don't think he's a poor one either. Um, you know, I think he's going to be okay in the NBA, but, you know, it's probably not going to be, you know, you know, Anthony Davis, for example, I mean, he, he's a good rebounder. He's not a great rebounder, but he's a terrific shot blocker. So I think we saw some of that in, the, in, in college, too. Let's stay with Kentucky. Are the Harrisons pros? They're pros in the sense that they're going to play professional basketball. <laughs> Are they NBA players? They'll probably get a cup of coffee in the NBA, and, and, and how they do from there will decide if they stick, but... I don't think they're guaranteed to get drafted right now. And if I were an NBA GM drafting the second round, I don't know if they'd be the first guy I'd look at. Jonathan, when you look at Frank Kaminsky, and it's, you know, I watched him last year and didn't believe his skills were all that translatable to the NBA. And he did a decent job this year proving me wrong. And there certainly are some skills that could translate to the NBA. Where would, what kind of role do you envision Kaminsky playing on an NBA level? Well, I think he's one of the easiest guys to plug into an NBA team uh, of almost anybody in the draft just because he's so skilled. Um, he can score um, inside the paint. He can score from the perimeter. He's a 40% three-point shooter. Everybody in the NBA right now is looking for that seven-footer who can make threes and be a decent rebounder and defender. He is not a, a bad defender by any means. Uh, and he, you know, he blocks a couple of shots here and there. He doesn't get back down. Uh, 
you know, you look at Spencer Hawes, you look at Channing Frye. I mean, to me, that's his worst-case scenario. I, I think he's really, really going to be a very effective player in the NBA. Um, you know, it's it's hard to find a guy that can break up, you know, a front court of, um, uh, you know, like let's say a, a Rudy Gobert and a Derek Favors. He would be perfect guy to slot in between those two and and play with both of them, or hmm. you know, or with either one. Interesting. How about international players, guys that that you think have the opportunity to be most successful right away and then in a few years? Well, I'm a huge fan of Mario Hezonia. I mean, he, to me, he, he, he's the Clay Thompson of this draft. He's an incredible shooter. He's extremely athletic. He's got great size. He's got a, he's got a, a very good body. And he has that swagger you look for in an international player to be successful in the NBA. Um, I think he's going to be an impact guy from day one, and I think um, you know I think he's really maybe going to even exceed where he's drafted. The other guy that's probably going to get drafted pretty high is Porzingis. He's much more of uh, of a project than Hazonia is. Uh, he's got all the talent. I mean, he's probably going to rise in draft. He's going to go into workouts, and you know he's going to have that Eugene Leon effect where he's just going to make every shot. And he's going to handle the ball, and his body is amazing, and he's so athletic. People are going to fall in love with him. I could see him maybe going to the top five just based on that, but he's not going to be an immediate impact guy. Um, and, you know, there's question marks about what his role are, are going to be even long-term, three to five years from now. Jonathan, anybody you've seen so far in this first weekend in the tournament you think's really improved their draft stock? Chris Dunn was a name that came to mind with me. I thought it was pretty impressive the other night. Anybody else you look at you think really has done a great job of improving their draft stock here uh, this first weekend of the tournament? You know, I, I still think it's early right now in the tournament. You know, everybody's kind of held serve. They, they, they've done what they needed to do. Um, you know, I, I liked what Wesley Saunders did at Harvard. You know, playing in the Ivy League, you don't really get a chance to, to, to show your stuff against the best players in college basketball. He had, you know, 25, 26 points against Harvard, which was very impressive. Um, you know, to me, Chris Dunn had a very poor game. I've seen him so much here in the Big East. He turned the ball over like crazy. He really struggled to finish around the basket against Dayton. So that, that wasn't a super impressive game to me. Um, you know, I, I, to me, it's still early. Um, the Sweet 16 is where you really, I think, can make an impact unless you're, you're a small school guy. Um, you know, RJ Hunter was up and down for Georgia State. Uh, I thought Pirtle did a very nice job, um, you know, both against Georgetown, against Stephen F. Austin, a big kid from Utah. Um, so it's, it's early. It'll be really interesting to see what happens next weekend, I think. Talking to Jonathan Gavoni, Draft Express on Twitter. DraftExpress.com. And before we let you go, I always, we always like to let our listeners get a little bit more insight into who you are and, and how this whole thing started. Where where did you start with Draft Express, and how have you built it up to where it is now? Well, this is going to be our 12th draft. Now, we started uh, started Draft Express in, in, in 2003. Um, I was just a freshman in college at the time. I really had no idea what I'm doing. Uh, I still claim that I don't, but, you know, we've built up a little bit of a niche following. Um, we have a great audience, um, a, a terrific staff, and um, it's, it, it's, it's a lot of fun, you know. It's, just, uh, it's kind of evolved throughout the years into, you know, what readers are looking for and what teams are looking for. We do a lot of stuff on the data side with teams, and we do some international scouting for NBA teams and European teams. So 
um, you know, it's a little bit of, 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 of everything. Um, it's, uh, it's a small audience, but very passionate one, and, and, and we love it. What was, what was the big break point for the site? Um, I'm, I, you know, it's really been a slow burn. It's been mm-hmm. growing every single year. Um, bit by bit, you know, that NBA TV gig that you talked about, I think that was, that was a big one, you know, because that kind of gave us a little bit of legitimacy going on to TV and, and, you know, and, and, and showing that, Hey, it's not just, you know, some, you know, college kid in his, in his basement. Um, it's, um, you know, that, that helps, I think, but it's, it's really been year by year. I think it's the longevity that, that people respect and, and and you really learn about the draft um, year after year, and and it definitely improves, um, you know, your your sense of, of what to look for, and and that's the only way to do it, I think. Uh, I think this that that historical perspective of seeing what happened, seeing how all these guys panned out, pretty much, you know, ninety percent of the guys in the NBA are players that I scouted now in college, so really seeing how they panned out gives me a lot of insight into how this upcoming crop you know, might turn out. Sure, sure. It's a good perspective. He's Jonathan Gavoni, Draft Express on Twitter. DraftExpress.com is the site. Great talking to you. Thanks for the time, Jonathan. Thanks for having me.